Welcome to the Go Solo Show, powered by Subkit, the number one place for inspiration to help you start, run, or grow a winning business. I'm Johnny Quirk, and each week we bring you some amazing guests from a wide variety of businesses, all talking about their journey, motivations, and top tips for entrepreneur success. We deliberately aim to bring you stories, interviews, and real people who are fully deep in the trenches, building their businesses, and sharing actionable insights that you can use for your own entrepreneurial business journey. So whatever you're building, we're excited to be part of that journey with you. If you like what we do, don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get on with the show. Hey guys, Johnny Quirk back once again. And today on the show, I'm delighted to say that we have Richard Lucas from 11 Content. Richard, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Brilliant. And uh, I'm really happy to get you on the show today because you're not only an entrepreneur yourself, but also you support other entrepreneurs and small business owners in running their businesses as well. In your own words, could you describe your business and exactly what it is that you do? Yeah, I can explain the iteration of where we're at at the moment. Um, Yeah, we are 11 and 11 is fundamentally, it's a digital marketing company. Um, yep. We're focused on tech startups and and scale up businesses and helping founders realize their visions. And we do that by professionalizing all aspects of their communication um, and marketing and setting them up for, for scalability. Brilliant. And uh, what is the kind of service and product that you actually sell? You know, are these one off relationships? Is it kind of like a subscription base or kind of like a contract terms? Tell me more about the business model. Yeah, well, there's, there's different types of the business model. <clears throat> um, what we find, if we go back to our vision of trying to help founders realize their ambitions and their vision, the work encompasses quite a lot of what they're trying to achieve. So our relationships uh, tend to be deeper um, rather than transactional um, and more advisory to a certain extent. So the services that we sell are more on a consultancy basis, helping them realize what they want to do from a marketing perspective, which really is commercial. So how do they get there? Um, So it's consultancy services that lead into more sort of fulfillment work, like creating content. And that can be quite often supporting founders and people within their team um, yep. with creating those those content pieces. Okay. And what kind of gave you the idea to really start it? You know, uh, again, I did a bit of digging around. It looks like you're a pretty exciting life and career before obviously starting your own business. You're at The Guardian. Um, you know, you've, you've worked in radio as well. I'm interested, you know, where the passion came from to, to start your own business. Yeah, okay. Well, fundamentally, it's always been there. And um, my belief really was that in order to create my own business, for me, I wanted to do some work in bigger organizations to start off with and, and, and see where I fitted into that and always with the intention of maybe doing something of my own. I never knew what that was, Yeah. Um, but I just knew fundamentally I wanted to be in control of my own destiny at some point. Um, It took me longer than I thought it would, Um, but um, the reason, my background quite simply was, as you say, was media. I worked in media um, all the way through my 20s and 30s, really, and that work encompassed um, radio to um, working in the Guardian Media Group, as well as working a little stint with Microsoft and Yahoo. Um, Out of the back of the work I did at the Guardian Media Group, I got involved in a digital transformation programme. I was head of digital at that point, um, growing a digital team. Um, But the bigger challenge really was about digitising that business, um, getting it ready for exit. Um, And that challenge in itself was back in sort of 2010. And the phrase digital transformation really wasn't anything at that point. Um, today, of course, it's, it, it's everywhere, it's ubiquitous, it is a phrase for modern business. So I led that, um, and to be honest, we completed the work, which took about two, two years. Yeah. And my options then really were to go back to doing the job that I was meant to be doing, which was like a head of running the digital teams. And I thought, no, I, I enjoyed the project too much. Yeah. I, thought, I can see how this is, I, I talked to peers in different industries and digital transformation fundamentally was disruption caused by the internet and of course it hits different categories and different sectors at different times and i wanted to take that work and that learning and apply it in different areas 
so that that that's my launch yeah I, I, and was there any like main driver that just made you go i i i'm fed up of being a salaried employee now you know it has to be the time you know it's now or never was it a gradual thing? Was it a lack of options? I'm interested to know what the motivation made okay. you mean. I'm not going back, and but I'm actually ready to start my own thing. Well, i tell you what it was. I, I was very fortunate when I worked at the Guardian Media Group um, that, um, that they put me on their Emerging Leaders course, um, which is a year-long program. And that, and that course was fundamentally about yourself, about learning about yourself. And it really taught you inwardly, I suppose, what, what you're best at, what you're passionate about. Yeah. And mine was, it just came out really clear as day, which was mine is about projects. It's about starting things up, the excitement around that, which we'll get to in a bit about startups. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, and the energy around that is what I really sort of love. So I love starting those things. And then, and then I, I love to move on. Um, yeah. And that that led really to thinking that that's that's why I don't want to stick in this position within this company. I want to be able to help more people in more organisations on my terms. And the way to do that is not work within one organisation. So that was really the almost like the theory I had behind me to give me the confidence to to make the leap. And in terms of obviously kind of like that, you know like you said earlier on consultancy, getting involved in other people's in, in industries and businesses, I guess that's maybe where some of the excitement comes on a daily basis because there's always new challenges. You know, like, like how do you keep your own business fresh? Because I know you've probably had a few businesses, I think, you know, like over the last few years, you know, all around similar subjects, you know, all around similar kind of matter that you're working on. But, you know, like, is that your way to keep it exciting? But how, how do you keep it exciting yeah, in your it, main it, role as well? It, it was. Um, yeah, I, I do. Um, and, and it goes back to that sort of freshness and, and project-based sort of approach to things. That we started off a business called Discerning Digital, which is a digital transformation consultancy. Um, but as time went on, you know, um, over six years, digital transformation just changed into something else. And I felt that the brand, the work that we were doing, didn't necessarily reflect the original brand and I just felt that I wanted to niche more into who I really wanted to help mm. and in order to do that I created a, a, a I flipped the brand um, and I created 11 so we yeah. were discerning digital but we were doing the same type of work but I translated that into 11 which I wanted to focus more on tech-based startups and scale-up businesses and I just felt that we needed that energy, that that new brand, and just gave us that energy to sort of take us off in a different direction. So actually, what you're saying is that laser focus on a segment has that actually created more freedom for you and more opportunity. I th I, th I think that theory works um, certainly, but you need to have the confidence to do it. Yeah. Um, to not take all business in all areas um, and. You know, we're not quite there, but, you know, having that focus allows us to deepen our expertise mm -hmm. in who we really want to help, which is founders. And in order to help founders, you need to understand more about their world and their ecosystem than just your area of expertise, which is marketing. I need to understand how that fits in holistically to what that founder is trying to achieve. Of course. And you mentioned confidence there, um, you know. We, we've talked before many times and, you know, obviously, you know, you have a partner, you have children, you know, you have obviously responsibilities. When it kind of came to making that leap and saying, I'm going to go from, you know, what I imagine was a fairly well-paid position, you know, in a, in a fairly well-known company, um, you know, what, what, what gave you the confidence that you could go it alone and just go, do you know what? I'm going to make a real success of this. You know, were, were there times you thought I would love to have that paycheck guaranteed in my account every month or, you know, I'm interested in knowing yeah. the process there. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was frightening, um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, to be honest. Um, by that point, I already had three children um, yeah. under five at that point. And it, it, it was the responsibility and the burden was there already. And I did think I wish I'd done this earlier, but mm. it, it happens when it happens. Um, for me, it was slightly later. So I was nervous about it. Um, but what gave me the confidence really was about controlling my own destiny. Yeah. And I had some support. I've, I've got a lot of entrepreneurs within the family. 
Um, so extended family, my wife's family, um, all really come from entrepreneurs that have had their own business. Yeah. So I had that sort of expertise around me and, and support. Um, okay. and, and I would say that my wife um, had come from a family of um, her father was an entrepreneur. And um, I suppose living with those ups and downs, she, she, she was aware of the implications. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the uh, ups and downs, so roller coaster. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's a question that I always ask, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, our guests on this show, in terms of that entrepreneurial background, I think that sounds really interesting in terms of, you know, your wife knows the entrepreneurial game. What, what kind of businesses were they in? And, and from your side of the family, do you come from an entrepreneurial background as well? Uh, from my wife's side of the family, um, th th there was a com there's a combination of entrepreneurs um, all the way through. Um, some of them have created things from scratch. Um, others have used their expertise. Let's say they've, 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 they've trained us and had a career in accounting yeah. um, and taken that into um CFO positions of startups and started things up that way. So taking existing expertise um, and doing it that way um, to starting something from scratch. There's a whole combination, really. My side of the family, um, probably a little bit more conservative on that front because my my parents were in the military. Yeah. Um, but after, my brother has certainly gone in that direction. Um, so yeah. the next generation have. And I think from chatting with you, you know, other times you've mentioned, obviously, I think that you that you moved around quite a lot. Is that correct? Do you think actually having that kind of, and I mean this the nicest possible way, not that kind of stable place where everything is completely the same, you know, there's not that kind of uh, continuity in life. Do you think that maybe set you up in terms of actually feeling like those ups and downs of startup life, you know, fits in well with you? Does it prepare you? I would say so. I'd say, I'd say that that's prepared me more. It, it, it meant that I didn't feel that I had those, those restrictions that can tie you to a place, um, those, the, those roots. Um, but there's, there's a positive and a negative side of that, of course. Um, and that's allowed me to sort of live in different areas. I lived in London and I live in Manchester now. Um, and it was easy enough to do that um, yeah. because of growing up in different places around Europe um, as a child. So, yes, I, I think it did give you more of a sort of yeah positive look at risk, I suppose. Yeah. And I guess as well, you know, in terms of that, you know, actually you'd, you'd be exposed to all sorts of different ideas, different kind of areas, different ways of living as well. OK, maybe on a, a military base or whatever that situation was, but at least obviously you're getting a bit more of an outside view of the world as well. Um, you mentioned before, obviously, from your own, well, for, from your family, it sounds like you have a, a wide network already. Like you said, accountants, you've got people to, um, you know, have a, have a, you know, grab five minutes with if you need a general chat about how things are going. Um, have you almost got the full skills that you would need as an entrepreneur to, to run a business in terms of that network already? Or did you actively really try to source a large network, like a support network early on as well in your in your career? No, I didn't. Um, and I look back in hindsight of, of making mistakes. And, you know, would you fix them in hindsight? I don't know what I would have done differently. Um, I... I think my gut feel is that I think you just, if it feels right, go for it. And that was yeah. my view of it. I didn't do that much planning behind it. Certainly not as much as I should have done. Yeah. Um, even though I had that support, um, I just did it. Um, and I think that I always had in the background that I could always get a job again. Yeah. Literally. You know, if it all goes wrong, I can just go back and get another job. And that's actually kind of like, you know, a really important thing to say, because I think, you know, when we're, we've been talking with a number of entrepreneurs on this show already, and it is that kind of attitude that they will do a really great job of something, but if it doesn't work out, then they can go and get another job. They back themselves really? to do that. It's that self-confidence to do it. I think it's not almost like you've just ripped up a your entire life from actually just going and starting something. Yeah, I'll give you an, exa uh, uh, yeah, an example of that and uh, a way of thinking. I always used to think, and I think a lot of younger people would think that having a mortgage, for example, would really tie you down. Mm -hmm. um, and suddenly that restricts your freedom, when actually it's the opposite. Um, it allows you, gives you more options because it allows you to potentially rent that place. 
we don't have to yeah. live in place. It, gives, it just gives you more options. It's just flipping it around. And that's the way I think about business as well, is that, yes, actually, it's given me more freedom, not yeah. less. So actually, you need to be fairly fluid in the situations. You've got to maybe, a lot of the rules maybe you've set are self-determined rules, but you've got to be fairly fluid and flexible in these situations. You've well. got to be fluid to, you can have your own rules, but actually, does that really, it's not tested until you put it into the market. The market will determine yeah. whether you fit or not, um, regardless of how much you've controlled it. And in terms of... Um... I have to be careful what I say here in case any of your clients are realistic to this, Richard, as well. But, it, you know, you're exposed to so many great business ideas. Um, you know, like obviously you chat with a lot of businesses, you meet so many inspiring people as founders as well. Do you ever have any other kind of like, you know, um, itches to scratch in terms of saying, I would be really interested in doing this side hustle or side project, or I've got a great idea for a business or maybe something that's completely running almost like your own startup? Do, do you ever get that or are you fairly comfortable in terms of the kind of uh, running your own business but also supporting others for the variety? Um, I don't think you can ever be too comfortable because yeah. <laughs> things just move too quick. Um, yeah. What I love about working with startups and, and scale-up businesses is just how quickly they're moving mm. um, and that keeps everything fresh. My perspective, yeah. I need to do the same within our business. We, we, we are a startup and a scale-up business as well, yeah. um, even though we're in a supporting kind of role. So I do, yes, absolutely. I think um, I want to be able to expand personally more into consultative work, to work closer with founders as well as the work that we do with Eleven. Yeah. Um, I think that that's really personal growth is, is, is really important. I think it's interesting as well because I think we almost become conditioned ourselves or we learn a lot going on and it's from experience, the good and the bad experiences we have in life and business that makes us stronger down the road. You know, I was interviewed last week by um, Kingston University in London um, about kind of my entrepreneurial journey myself. And it was interesting, there was a load of say students that were going to be graduating in the next year, you know, like early 20s and it was amazing. I can understand the pressure on them right now to think, I need a career, I need to get into something. But it almost felt like a lot of them had the weight of the world on their shoulders. It was like, I need to get a job. And if it's not the the golden job straight away, then life is almost ruined. <laughs> and, you know, my, my advice there was like, look, you, I think I read somewhere you're going to have maybe 12 or 14 jobs in your lifetime now. You know, nothing unless it's in a particular industry like nursing or law or a doctor or something is guaranteed for life. So... I think you have to build up this emotional intelligence. You have to build up this kind of confidence over years and go, look, if it doesn't work out in the first couple of years, um, well, I can pivot or I can close it or I can go back to work or whatever. You know, like uh, I think, you know, we are that, that, that kind of retirement, if any of us want to retire, you know, I, based on COVID, I'm not really planning on retiring because if this is it, just hanging around the house all day, then, you know, I'm, I'm not massively interested. But I think, you know, if we reach a point where, you know, like, that, that retirement age is moving and moving. I think we have to be dynamic, not just to go almost like lasso a job and say, right, I've got that for 50 years now. I think we have to build up over time. I, th I think we do. Uh, I think a lot of that at the beginning goes back to confidence as well. Um, you learn that over time. Um, but when you're first coming out, I think it depends on who you surround yourself with. Yeah. Um, that, that, that is a massive influence on, on that thinking. Yeah. Um, but yes, I agree. I think the ideal scenario, it may sound utopian, but you want to be doing the work that you're doing where you don't even think of retiring. I don't think of retiring. I think of, yeah. I, I want to be doing stuff that, that interests me. Yeah. Um, I'm going to re remind you if you win the Euro Millions or something, Richard, you know, just to send some of those millions over to me as well. <laughs> just, uh, you don't need it for the retirement. That, so. I, I mean, one of peaks retired, yeah. Exactly. Now, I just want to dig in just before we go into, you know, our next section, which is some of your top tips for entrepreneurs is, you know, around this kind of network. I know you're a fairly, um, you know, I wouldn't say compulsive networker. That makes it sound quite extreme, but you do network a lot. You meet a lot of people. You give back a lot. You also help other people a lot. I know some of it obviously will be to develop your own business brand, but for people who maybe don't have a massive network, but they know that they maybe need to meet more people either in their field or people who are inspirational to, to support them on their journey, how would you approach networking? Um, I certainly approach it um, that never sell to the person that you, you, you're you networking um, yeah. or talking to in a networking meeting. Um, I, <clears throat> I just, I, I really believe in serendipity. 
and um, helping others along the way comes around in some way or, or another. It just seems to happen um, yeah. with the more people that you meet. What's happened in COVID has been, um, I suppose, this explosion of services like Lunch Club and, and other things like that, where you, you generally have an opportunity to meet people that I, I don't think I would have met in, yeah. in more traditional circumstances or circles beforehand and embracing those um, but going into those with uh, with a feeling of not expecting anything, with, with little expectation apart from getting to know somebody mm. and um, seeing where you can help them because it doesn't take long to have a conversation to realise that there's an angle very quickly where you could probably <laughs> introduce them to somebody. It's remarkable. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Going in as well, fairly relaxed and fluid again is so important. You know, I used to, I probably overdid it when I first moved to Manchester, like, I don't know, 11, 12 years ago, I used to go to yeah. any networking event. I was like, I really want to build out my network. But you go there, really good mood, you know, like, oh, I just want to meet some interesting people. And then you'd have someone who's trying to sell you something within five seconds of something that's totally irrelevant to your business or anything. Yeah. And you just see your life drain out of you. So it was kind of like, you've got to pick and choose it. But I think going into these situations with, you know, no real agenda kind of helps, you think? Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I just... You just don't want to be that guy who's cornering somebody um, <laughs> and selling them something. We've, we've all had that and we have. potentially done that by, by accident. But um, yeah, no, I think that just an interest in listening to people. And if you're generally interested in other people's lives and what they're doing, um, the conversation flows. But I, I find that when somebody's selling to you direct, they're not actually really listening to you. They're just waiting to have an opportunity to sell you what they're selling you so yeah i can't remember the quote that i read this week and it was something like you know if you do interesting things in life you know interesting circumstances will come out of them or interesting results or something along those lines and yeah. i think it's so true you know you want to be doing things in a bit of a different way like you said serendipity you want to be building out your network but it could be all sorts of interesting people i think if people want to do work with you or know who you are then they will find that over time as well yeah couldn't agree more brilliant well this has all been great to hear about how you got started in business, but here's maybe now the next section where we try and encourage people to really help grow their business or you know start, run, or grow a business really from scratch. So obviously you work with a number of entrepreneurs, probably a little bit further along the line, but I know obviously you have got a passion to help you know earlier stage entrepreneurs and solopreneurs as well. So from your, from your advice, I was just wondering what advice you would give to people starting out or maybe in the early stage of their business about what they should maybe concentrate on for their digital presence. Maybe you could explain what digital presence is. I know it's an expertise of yours and maybe with limited budget, maybe what they should probably be concentrating on in these early days. Yeah, um, th th there's a lot to concentrate on. And I think with people that are starting a business now, um, they'll understand about digital presence. They'll, they'll have um, a profile on, on Facebook, they'll have LinkedIn probably and um, they may be thinking about their website. Um, but I suppose it's taking it to the next level and understanding um, about your personal brand. I think yeah. that that's really important to realize that, that your personal brand is really important and fundamentally people buy people, yeah. um, not necessarily companies. And uh, that hasn't changed, um, I don't think. I think that is becoming even more important about trust and authenticity. Yeah. So having the confidence to to put your your views out there um, that reflect you as a person and not necessarily a step back with jargon. It sounds obvious, but it's just vanilla. There's too much noise out there. You need to cut through it. Yeah, um, and that authenticity really does that. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing I would really think about as well is not just thinking about yourself and your own brand, but the most important thing is is who is your service or product going to help. Um, and it's difficult. You can do a lot of work and thinking on this, but you need to test and get it out to the market and see whether there's an appetite for what you, you want to sell. So doing some, some light touch research is, is, is really important. Being able to create surveys uh, and, and, and get feedback on, on whether there's appetite for what you want to, to sell. Talk to as many people as possible about that. Um, and be open to other people's views on it. I would just do as much of that as possible to begin with. Yeah. And make sure that 
you don't internalize things too much and think more externally about who your product's for. Yeah, so be incredibly authentic, be incredibly natural, build up this presence, don't be salesy. Um, in terms of that digital presence, I mean, what kind of like, you know, don't need to labor it too much, but you know, like, like what kind of pitfalls have you maybe seen in the past, which which think, you know, is, is almost just like toxic in terms of what people are doing out there? Yeah, the, 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 I mean, our world is mainly um, in businesses, helping businesses. And so LinkedIn is, is a big priority um, for us yeah. and, and for our clients. Um, and I mean, we've talked about this, just of how LinkedIn has is, is evolved and just yeah. the difference it's been in the last year and how people are using it. It still feels a bit Wild West to me. Um, yeah. But, and I still don't think it knows exactly where it's meant to be, but the obvious pitfalls are directly sort of selling or humble bragging and yeah. it, it's just not authentic. Um, and there's a hell of a lot of spam, helping. isn't there as well? Yeah, it's just yeah. not helping people, filling people's feed with the stuff that's not that relevant. It's just not relevant. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, it just goes back to helping your customers, your potential customers. You know, if you think about that, and this goes back to persona work, understanding yeah. who that ideal customer is. Once you understand that, you've really got to internalize what keeps them up at night. And yeah. how do you solve that problem or one of those problems? Yeah, persona work is very important, actually. I'm pleased that you bring that up. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, I, I, I think it's crucial. And, it, and it's a piece of work that um, doesn't just get done doesn't get done once and just put into a drawer. It needs to be, it needs to be organic. Um, yeah. Something that you're constantly looking at and testing. I think it's quite interesting what you said there about LinkedIn as well, because I think there are many opportunities there. I think things like private messages is, is almost like overkill at the moment because you're being spammed all the time. People are looking for keywords in your profiles, um, invite to this, invite to that. But I think maybe some of the opportunity, what you said about being natural and authentic could exist for some solopreneurs if they maybe are in service-based industry. So I think being natural LinkedIn, like you said, being valuable, sharing insights, but also being very personable. The way I see it, you know, like, you know, we're, we're helping here at Subkit help some people who are you know, creating yoga businesses or, um, you know, building wine clubs or those sorts of things. And I think what's natural there is that, you know, even though it's full of people talking about business, these people are still going to be potentially interested in wine because actually it's a, it's a, well, it's a, I call it a luxury product stroke commodity, but it's something they can really get into. And without trying to directly sell, they should hopefully ambiently be able to find out about you. It's the same with services such as yoga, meditation, whatever. I think if you're coming across a natural way, you know, a lot of these business people will need that chill out time. So I think there's opportunities there to dig into LinkedIn, but I think, yeah, it's got to be so natural. It's got to have something that cuts out from all the noise about, you know, hustling and Forbes articles and stuff like that as well. Yeah, I, I, I have seen it change over the last year, certainly, of, of what, you can see what gets traction and what doesn't. You can just see how many likes and comments it gets. Yeah. Um, and different formats are, are interesting as well. I think the, the long-winded articles, not necessarily getting as much traffic um, or engagement as tiles, for example, and putting those together because you just think of people browsing on, on, on mobiles. Yeah. Um, you know, using those different formats and testing uh, is really, really important. So one of my favorite buzz terms, Richard, that uh, you, you've mentioned over the years has been scalable assets. Um, you know, it's something that really kind of like appealed to me because uh, I just think it's got so much longevity in terms of these scalable assets. But, you know, for people out there, I was wondering if you could maybe explain what scalable assets is and, and why it's so important for a business. Yeah, well, I, I suppose it... It wasn't a term I coined, it's a term that um, Daniel Priestley uses in some of his books. Um, yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's, it, it's a really good phrase, I think. It's effectively creating, assets create revenue um, in the physical world. And he uses this example, actually, of, of having a house. If you were to inherit a house, it, it, it would be able to generate revenue for you um, without you doing anything. Um, apart from updating it, that's what an asset does. So it, it, it creates revenue for you. But it's not scalable. Scalable assets are those in the digital world. So it could be something that you've created like a white paper. Um, it could be 
articulating your process um, that lots of people are able to download um, without you having to do the work again. So that these assets are, are really important. Um, to and I guess, uh, and I guess, is it maybe taking say one kind of content that you've made and being able to chunk it up into different pieces for you know different. Yeah, we like, to, we like to another another phrase we like to use for source content. Um, yeah. And source content is exactly that. It, it's something that is true to, to um, it is the single point of truth. Um, it could be a piece of research, for example, that you've done. We talked earlier about um, maybe doing a little bit of market research. Um, the insights that you grab from that can be put into a research piece. It could be put into a white paper, for example. Yeah. Um, but that is the source. Um, and you're able to extract from that lots of different insights, create articles, you could create a video, you could create interviews um, and blow up that piece of source content into lots of different pieces to be able to push around a part of your digital presence. Um, and, and, but the beauty of it is that it links back into the original source. So all of the pieces of content are aligned. Yeah. And I guess for people out there as well who want to know how I'm using this, you know, for, for this Go Solo podcast today you know we're recording this it'll be on video on our youtube channel then obviously it will, the audio will be across all unusual podcast places we will turn it into a blog post which is great so obviously we can use the same material we can then take out chunks as well and use those for social assets and sharing and also obviously we can kind of use it for um, compilations so we are building a library of great entrepreneur books that our guests are talking about and that just means, you know, from one you know, hour long call, we've managed to make all of these kind of like assets out of one thing. So I think I'm yeah. on the right line. You are, and you are sweating that asset. Yeah. You know, you're, you're really making it work hard um, and that, that initial investment. Um, so you can see the scalable sort of use of it. It kind of makes a lot of sense as well, because I guess you can also target other people as well. You know, there's different segments, you know, the press may be interested in one section. Say you do a survey, it could be, um, you know, why yoga is great for your body or something you know in mind 10 surveys or something or a questions coming in or you know or, or it uncovers some kind of like new thing which you can obviously get out there as well so i think yeah. you can probably target different people with the assets as well I mean, you certainly could that yoga is a really good um example you know if, if a yoga instructor was to create a survey um to find out more about i suppose the the benefits of yoga um, with their existing customers over a period of time, um, create a survey that is mainly numerically based so that you're yeah. able to sort of see the, the trends of that data and that the, the more the data, the better. Um, and out of that will, will come insights um, that you can then follow up in more qualitative work um, yeah. and interviews. And before you know it, you've created um, lots of content that is really relevant to your target audience right now. Yeah, and I guess as well, probably that's going to be a lot higher quality in terms of, it's probably going to be a lot higher quality than just say paying for loads of social media ads or something. You know, it, it, the, the, the value and the quality is going to last for a long time online and can be re-envisioned many times. It's yeah, that, that organic nature um, and evergreen nature of that content. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, paid social, um, there's a place for it, certainly. We like to use it to boost um, what we're, we're doing uh, yeah. and the combination of doing that because obviously you can get really granular with the targeting. Yeah. Um, but we focus mainly on the, the organic piece of work, the original piece of work to start off with. And I guess that's that source content again. It's that kind yeah. of really high quality. It's like you just want to basically get get it you know pushed out there to as many people as possible yeah you've just got to make it work hard because creating source content is is, is is not easy and there's an investment of time and energy in that yeah um, and skill and but you've got to make it work hard and in terms of that um you know like in terms of content strategy you know this could be we we'll probably talk all day about content strategy so <laughs> we don't need to dig massively deep but obviously you know it'd be good to give people some from insight into that you know I'm working with a number of entrepreneurs right now and, and my team is about, you know, how they can start writing content, you okay. know, how they can start creating some kind of audience, what, you know, like, or, or get a potential audience interested in their content as well. Yeah. 
but it's a bit tricky to kind of know where to start. I guess it's where to pitch it, frequency, what that content should be. Okay. I'm interested like how somebody should maybe go about just starting to research or think about putting together a content strategy. Okay, yeah, let's let's go from the solopreneur sort of, yep. sort of format. The first thing we've got to do really is is think about the customer. So it's the persona work that you need to be doing. You need to be thinking about all your content is not for you. It's for who you're who you're you're offering your services to. That's that's the most important thing. So once that persona work has been done, um, you can start creating articles um, and um, pieces that are going to help that that customer. So if you yeah. think at top of the funnel, you want to be a, of a mark, traditional marketing funnel, you're going to have top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, sort of sales qualified leads at the bottom. If you think about that point of view, to fill up the, the content at the top, you really need to be thinking about um, solving or helping or being useful and helping your potential customer with the issues that they've got. Mm. Uh, not necessarily yours, but, but how you can be helpful. And the way to do that, a really simple way of doing that is to really think about you could do this with a couple of you of your team or, or if it's just you for yourself is think about those pain points think about what keeps your your potential customer up at night mm. and then once you really think about those and draw those out turn those into questions and you turn those into questions and quite you could spend an hour on this and you could have probably 20 30 pain points or, or questions um and then th there's your content for the next six months you answer those questions yeah and would you say you would build that you know episodic you know you said six months yeah. would you then plan it so you're planning maybe a few weeks ahead and each yeah this is like your or... embedded content it's like you're, you're the bed the grounding of your evergreen content because if you think of um your potential customer searching um for those answers or those pain points um, you want to be kind of ranking for those or coming up um, and or pushing people via social media to those. Yeah. So so answering the questions quite simply of what your customer is, is looking for the answer for is a great way of doing that. It's a great way of focusing an initial tranche of, of content to put together. But the piece of work you need to do around that as well is think about tone of voice yeah. um, and 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 that structure really of how you're going to attract those people would would your and i think this is all great advice richard i mean in terms of how you would put it together you know would you say that the um do you think it's it's important to play the long game here in terms of being natural and saying there's going to be no heavy call to action on each page it's more about just building up that brand reputation or would you always put a gentle call to action at the end like a you know if you are interested in learning more about burgundy wine or you're interested in taking the next steps to start yoga or whatever that you would always put that in or do you think that's well, you, you want to talk to people at different stages of the funnel mm. um, and it's not always a linear journey yeah um, i.e you read this content and therefore you don't read my uh, you <laughs> download my article and therefore you become a yeah. customer you know people come backwards and forwards at different points of, of the sales funnel so that's why having a lot of content that is top of the funnel is really, really valuable. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, you know, you're talking about an inbound methodology here. An inbound yeah. methodology is attracting people via the top of the funnel. Um, so with that methodology, you'd be wanting to push them down into knowing a bit more about your products. So that could be join a webinar, it could be more of a middle of the funnel piece. Yeah. Um, here's um, a download that we created um, yeah. that there's a combination of all these things that might be relevant for you um, so that, that they're the kind of calls to actions we'll be looking at rather than um, straight down to the bottom of the funnel and I guess as well in terms of you know pick up on the word evergreen you know, one of my favorite terms as well <laughs> so it's always nice to hear coming from our guests yeah. but you know I guess these are almost like the you know whether it's a, a well-written piece it's a 10-part series it's an infographic whatever it's like you know uh, 10 steps to get into yoga, 10 steps to grow a business, 10 steps to do whatever. Would you say these are the pieces you yeah, want these to gather that people are kind of going to share? are really good. You know, long, uh, there's a place for long form, um, but, <clears throat> you know, people's attention span is quite small. Yeah. Um, so these top tips are really useful. 
But underneath all of this, what I'd be really, my biggest piece of advice would be to collect data. Yeah. Um, you know, we want to be building your own tribe and, uh, and so that you're able to talk to them in your own way via newsletters and email. Um, yeah. If you can build that up organically, um, I'd be putting all those energies into doing that. So that's a really nice sort of call to action at the end of these things. So if you want to hear more about this, why don't you join my newsletter? Yeah. Um, you know, this is the type of thing you'll get from my newsletter. So you're still keeping a bit of distance, but that they're engaging with you. And the more that you can build that up in your area, um, the more likely you are to convert. It's amazing as well how robust email is stage, you know, as newsletters it is, still it really is, is the number one thing. If you can get people on that, you know, they, and again, I guess it's going to be good quality you're putting out on your newsletter. You start spamming people or salesy, you know, you're, you know, you're going to be marked as spam or whatever and your newsletter is going to be massively unsubscribed. Whereas yeah. actually if you're putting out gold, but actually only putting out at certain times and people want to follow along on that, whether it's a drip campaign or just a really interesting newsletter. Well, an approach, it goes back to the networking conversation we had right at the beginning. Yeah. which was, do you sell direct in that networking? No, you don't. Yeah, um, yeah. Really sort of, that's the same way I see a newsletter. So our newsletter, our 11 newsletter, I, I, I write it in the persona, it comes from me, mm -hmm. um, but it's for friends of 11. I'm not selling to the people on, on my list in particular. What I am selling to indirectly is the people that they know. Um, and yeah. a wider network, so which is the same principle of, of of networking in real life. So that's the same sort of. I find that that gets the best results, and therefore, if you've got that friends of, yeah. your natural authenticity comes across. It's easier. Yeah, it's of course. Natural. And and I think you know, just to, I can say it does come across very natural. Your newsletter, it's you know, it's it's nice to read. It doesn't feel like it's too heavy. It feels like it actually is coming from you, which is which is nice. You know, it doesn't look like it's been formatted in the best possible way it doesn't look like it's kind of come from a generic newsletter it looks yeah, like it is like a letter from a friend if you will do yeah and i think that that's very much on trend at the moment um it is sort of taking away a lot of those images that we used to have on traditional newsletters mm. um and that professional sort of gleaned look to a more sort of rustic authentic feel and actually yeah. getting away get, stripping out those images to get to the message um, it, it is certainly what it's getting traction yeah. through. Yours are, yours are very similar. Um, wow. And you've always been like that as well. So I'm sure Thank that... Thank you, Richard. It's uh, a, a newsletter loving here. You, you heard it here. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely cut this clip out, which is good, but I think it's so true. Now, before we move on to a rapid fire round, I've got a couple of quick questions for you. And one is, I know you help a lot of businesses craft press releases. Now, press releases aren't for everybody. But I guess it depends really in terms of press that you're trying to get, whether that's um, on a local level or national level. I guess you want stuff that stands out and will hopefully attract people to your business. If someone was putting together some kind of general press release or just something which they really wanted to get attention, what would be your tips? And is it a fallacy that you really almost have to pay to have a, you know, a press release partner, you know, like some kind of media partner to get kind of coverage or you know, how, how does that work? I don't, I, 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 at the beginning, I think it's about being bold mm -hmm. and, you know, at the beginning of your journey, you're not going to be able to necessarily invest or decide to invest that money in, in a professional outfit to help you with this. Um, and it, with your content in general, um, mm -hmm there are certain levels that you can do yourself, certainly. And, and I, would, I, I would certainly you know, recommend this um, to begin with, to reach out to publications yeah. um, individually. Direct reach out, just do as it, in like, you know... Do it, yeah. Find, find the journalist's name on the article or something, find their email. Yeah, yeah. It, I just would go for it from, from that point of view. But I'd also think about the people that maybe in your network that might be able to help you with that as well yeah. um, and, and go direct. But, you know, I think there's more of a sort of, rather than an official press release, mm. I think it's more sort of messaging um, that's probably a bit more authentic than that. Um, yeah. It's the way to go forward. And uh, crafting something that is going to be really useful for their, their listeners um, or their readers in this case. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, and not also just thinking about um, the written form, but thinking about audio as well. And reaching I think out as well, probably podcast. starting a lot of these relationships as well with them. You know, maybe the, the first thing you have to send is a, you know, something massively you've uncovered from your surveys that you've started on this source content, the scalable assets. It could be just like, you are, you know, you're a yoga journalist or you're a wine journalist or whatever but I want to start a relationship with you and just start being fairly natural. And then I That's guess really as you have example. stuff to share, you can you do know, it. You're offering something there. You've done a piece of research. You've got something that you know is unique because you've created it, it's your insight. Um, and that's the power of doing that type of work. Um, and if you come up with, a, with some really good insights from that, um, that is something that I think telling your story around that to fit around that is a really compelling story locally. Yeah, I think it's so important. You know, I mean, I read the newspapers at the weekend when I get a chance. <laughs> it's like, you know, there's you will see these mini surveys pop up. Usually they're from bigger brands, but, you know, 63% of Brits think this or, you know, five out of 10 think this. Actually, maybe that's not a great example because that's right in the middle. So nobody would be that interested. But do you know what I mean? Like there's all these kind of like insights which actually can be gleaned. So depending on what the industry or vertical you're in, it would be really quite good to kind of get some of these insights because at least it starts the conversation off about something which, again, like you said, you're sitting well, on. Yeah, I mean, the, the beauty of it as well, of course, which is uh, and sort of number one, um, marketing 101 really is is talking to your if you have a business that you've already got some clients in, it's about talking to them and finding out what their problems are yeah. um, or the challenges are, because finding that the more data that you get on that, clearly you can offer, you're so much more informed on, on how you can help them. Yeah. Um, and therefore not help them, but probably those within the industry as well. I think that works really well because actually it ties in with exactly what we've said. You know, say somebody has 40 hours a week they want to basically look at where they can best put their time. So it might be that, you know, obviously they will maybe be doing the the business. Obviously they've got something they have to sell at the end of the day to make money. But, you know, maybe a few hours of it should be creating the source content and then maybe one hour a week or two hours could be building your network, reaching out to journalists or influencers in that space or whatever, and just starting to yeah, build the relationships. I, I know Knowing that... I think it's the thinking that, that, that they've got to do really at the beginning. The, the execution yeah. of it, there's lots of different services like Fiverr, um, where you'd be able to get some help on that that's really reasonable. So, you know, the execution of the work um, is, is not necessarily as important um, as the thinking behind it. Course, that's where yeah. I, I, I get them to think and, and yeah. focus that marketing energy. Yeah, there's actually, we've interviewed quite a few entrepreneurs on this show and quite a few of them are fans of these outsourcing, whether it's Fiverr, Upwork, these sorts yeah. of people. And they can, you know, once obviously you've, you've got your head around it and you know what you're outsourcing, that it's a good way of doing that to free up a little bit more time, you know, after those first few months of, of getting stuck in the trenches as well. Yeah, and then you just do, you increase that investment time and energy as, as you develop. Yeah. Right, Richard. Well, I'm delighted to say I, I, I appreciate all those top tips there. You know, I know uh, I've, I've made loads of notes as well, and I hope everybody who's listening out there has as well. Um, this is our rapid fire round where we go through, find out, you know, literally just some quick answers on, on some of your, uh, you know, some of the things which kind of make you tick as, as a business or an entrepreneur yourself. So let's kick off with who are your favorite entrepreneurs and why? Uh, I, I think at the moment I won't give names, but I think those based in in science at the moment, I think, and what they're trying to change. That um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I think they're the ones that inspire me at the moment. Okay, this this actually answers the question too because that was your most inspiring people. So uh, there you go. That you've managed to make that super rapid, which is good. Um, in terms of your favorite business books and online business resources, you know what would those be in terms of what's really making an impact yourself on your own kind of business? Maybe ones that you think would help other people as well. That's some really good ones, Fred. I mean, I mean, there were so many, um, but I, th I think certainly with your journey that you're doing as a solopreneur, you know, you need this this input um, and inspiration. And I find that you might only take a couple of things from each one, but just go with that. Uh, don't expect too much from each one but yeah i've mentioned it before daniel priest is a really good place to start um on on scaling your business um yeah. and any business he's got some really he's really practical really practical tips i do re recommend him 
Um, I, I'd probably start there. I, I'd leave it probably there for now. Yeah. And, and how, how often, you know, as an entrepreneur yourself, you know, do you actively read a lot of books? Yeah. Do you start yeah. a lot of books? Do you finish lots of books? You know, I have about 10 on the go all the time, but whether I ever get to the end, I'm not so sure. But, you know, like, are you a compulsive reader as well? I am, yeah, um, in, in all elements. And um, I, I really enjoy reading and I try and put it as, as discipline each day. Yeah. Um, to read business books as well as read you know, all types of reading really um, so yeah it's a really important part of my day um, there's a really good um, business called um, that I was introduced to called Rebel Book Club um, oh, okay. and those guys are they're really interesting what they do but they their, their journey I really recommend where they're going from reading four books a year to 40 um, wow. and how do you do that and um, just the power of it I'd really recommend those guys I have a, a dream one day, you know, this is probably when the kids are in their teenage years and are probably playing PlayStation or something all day, that I could maybe sit in my favourite chair and read a book for half an hour or something with a coffee. That, that, mm. that, that is what you have to tell me. Is that realistic now your kids are older or does something no, else take they're, over? They're exactly there and no. <laughs> okay, I, I thought you might be a good guy. I could look into the future and see what my life might be. I, so I, I don't want to burst that bubble. Yeah, I think I get 15 minutes with the Times on a Saturday in my chair with a cup of coffee, and then it's like, right, what are we going to do now? It's like, yeah, right, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll reach the end of it one day. Yeah. Um, in terms of your own business journey, if you could look back, you know, we don't, we don't look back too much in life, of course, being entrepreneurs, you know, it's all about the next thing, but would there be something you probably would maybe do differently once, you know, if you could do it over again? Um, I, I think um, reach out more for support. Mm. Um, the... the I didn't do enough of that, and I think that would have accelerated um, our journey um, yeah. if we had. And there is a lot of support out there. There's a lot of government support as well, um, and certainly now um, that the, there really is. There's grants available. I'd really research those types of things and, and mentorship yeah. um, uh, in particular. And that if you look for it, the, the, there really is quite a lot of support um, from a financial basis as well as expertise yeah. professionally. That's as, as an entrepreneur as well, do you have any kind of support network in terms of other business owners or people yeah. in a similar boat? You know, do you meet up for a beer once a month or whatever? How yeah, we do quite a few of them actually. Um, and I find that I don't see it as networking. I see it as support hmm. um, because it, it's really about developing relationships rather than how many people you know. Um, yeah. It's better to know less of them but more deeply. Um, so that takes time. So yeah. we do have groups and certainly I'm part of a, um, a cohort of agency leaders yeah. um, that we get together. We all signed NDAs and we share everything <laughs> and it really, it really yeah. helps massively. That's good. You could be very open then, I guess, in terms yeah. of that and, you know, share war stories, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it, it's track. really useful. <laughs> in terms of your own business, um, you know, if, if time was of no significance, what do you think would be the number one thing that you would do over and over again to, you know, make your business go faster or, or make it more successful? You know, say you only could do one thing in your business. What do you think is the most important thing you could do? Well, business at the beginning can't, it just can't function without sales um, and a healthy pipeline. Um, I'd, I would focus more energy, as, as much energy as that's possible, because everything else doesn't really matter if you don't have a healthy pipeline. Yeah. So, and there are different ways of doing that. And having a sustainable pipeline is really important, mm. not just leads coming from one specific source. Yeah. Um, lots of different sources whether that's a combination of networking, suppliers, your supplier network, as well as mm. partnerships, um, yeah. as well as client referrals, um, friend referrals, um, the power of referrals. Yeah, I agree. I think all of those are very strong, especially networks, you know, partnerships, those sorts of things, because there's no point in doing direct sales. And we can say this from anybody who runs like a part-time side hustle to somebody who runs a, yeah. a big tech startup. You know, if you can drop a link in there to someone that's highly relevant, and it, whether it's a direct sale or at least builds a relationship, that's what you need to be doing. It can't just be one-to-one -one relationships forever, really, because unless they're massively high, you know, high yield, you know, business owner that you only need two or three customers a year to function, that's when there's probably a time for one-to-one -one as well. Yeah, yeah, it's that, it's that combination of offline and online. Um, yeah. But I put it at the centre of everything at the beginning. 
In terms of work-life balance, this is always a, a big topic here. Uh, what sort of things do you put in play to have a successful work-life balance? Do you have a successful work-life balance? <laughs> Tell no. me. Especially not during lockdown. Work in progress. I mean, it's a challenge because we've got three teenage children yeah. um, and my, my wife's an entrepreneur as well. So she's got her own photography business. Yeah. So you're always, you're restricted to a certain bit because you want to put your attention on children. And I need to, you know, to share responsibility for her time for to grow her business. So there are, there are restrictions there, but just understanding what you can do in a day um, yeah. and having realistic growth targets has worked for us but it depends on what type of business you're trying to create if you're trying to grow one very quickly aggressively to exit that has a different sort of type of challenge so um i, I think having other interests outside of work um is really important as well um, yeah. and energy so that there's there's a distraction outside of just family as well as as work I agree. I think the distraction really helps. And I think from what you're saying is almost set yourself up for successes for a sustainable business growth, for a sustainable I mean, that's, lifestyle. That's my, that's my philosophy. But then I'm, I'm, I'm looking to do that. I'm looking for um, to grow a business where I, I'm able to choose the people that we work with. Um, yeah. And that takes time and energy and it doesn't have the same maybe financial rewards, but it depends on your motivation. Being clear yeah. on those motivations um, uh, it is crucial at the beginning. Brilliant. And I don't know if you're able to answer this. I hope you will. We've had all sorts of random answers, but uh -oh. do you have any funny anecdotes or something which has happened in your life of business over the years? <laughs> you know, like just something totally random that's happened. Anything which comes to mind? Anything that's random? That's, what, in terms of the business that we're in now? or In terms of the business, well, in any business which you've had in your entrepreneurial journey, uh, we've had... What have we had so far? We've had uh, people who've run supper clubs and people have turned up at their house on the wrong nights. We've had uh, someone who's running a tech conference and was put on the wrong panel and the guest didn't know anything and the 30-minute panel was over in like two minutes. Uh, you know, I'm interested to know if something really random has happened to you in your journey that maybe might have been a bit crushing uh, at well, the time. But you just I don't know if you remember Trigger Happy TV. I do. Uh, Don Jolly. Well, I got caught by him once. Really? Um, coming out of work um, as well. I worked at Capital Radio um, yeah. years ago in my 20s and I was coming, it's on Leicester Square in London and I came out the back entrance of that and um, I, I needed to get a taxi um, yeah. to a meeting and uh, sort of put my hand up to try and flag a taxi and I should have known there and then but the taxi flagged me instead of coming to me. I thought it was a bit odd but I was in a real rush. I got in it and um, there was Don Jolly, but he was dressed up in a different sort of character. And um, yeah, he, he just caught me out completely. I, um, I'm going to be on YouTube later on looking for this, Richard. You know, there's got to be some evidence somewhere. It's a... Uh... <laughs> um, as an entrepreneur, what ultimately does success mean to you? Um, uh, control of my own destiny. Yeah, that's great. That, that, that was rapid and that was straight to the point as well, which is good so but it's kind of true isn't it and yeah. for those people thinking of taking the plunge and starting their own business what advice would you give to them um there's never been a better time to do it um there's it's never been more accessible um with the resources that are around you i would just put the right people around you to support you um and i would go for it um, my, my advice is is just to be bold, be brave. <clears throat> as far as we know, we're, we're only here once. Um, yeah. So if you don't try, you don't know. And th there's always an, an alternative plan if it doesn't go quite to plan. Brilliant. That's, uh, that's definitely our soundbite, Richard, for this. And here we'll be cutting that up uh, as source content as well. <laughs> um, just in terms of your own business as well, um, what's the what's the vision you know tell us where you probably want to be in a few years time in terms of the business what, okay, what well, um, I certainly want it to uh, our lifelong journey really of a sustainable business um, and that is growing not necessarily always through revenue um, but but growing through the type of businesses that we're helping um, we want to get into more businesses that we can help that are in the um, they're in the value-led sustainable sector um, yep. where we can make um, a big difference. Um, and it's just that satisfaction that you get and reward that the team get from, from doing that type of work. 
So we want to do more of that work, more, more of that work outside of our traditional businesses um, and in different parts of the world that probably need our help. So that, that's where I'd like to go. Um, in and terms of, journey. yeah, and I think in terms of that, would you say that maybe would come under your 11 bracket or would you, under your 11 banner, or would you maybe say set up like a, you know, almost like a shop window for that specific one. You know, for that yeah, I think we're, 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 we're playing around with lots of different things. We want to work with um, Eleven Foundry, um, yeah. which is helping people at the beginning of their journey um, yeah. and finding ways to do that, um, uh, as well as our traditional business of Eleven. And then there's Eleven for Good as well. I want to be able to set up things like oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and but, nice you know, it, it, it takes time, and yeah. um, we just want to do it in a longer term fashion. Um, yeah. sustainable. I love, yeah, I love those sub brands as well. You know, you know, I think once you build up that brand equity and you have that audience and you have that trust, then you can start to look at sub brands as well. So works for me. Look forward to that. And um, final question really is, you know, remind everybody where they can get in touch with you. You know, where do you hang out? What's your website address? All those sorts of things. No, thank you. Yeah, well, you can find out about us as Eleven from ElevenContent.co.uk. Yep. Um, you can just find me on LinkedIn. It's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, and that's just Richard Lucas. Um, that's the easiest way to, to, to get hold of us. Yeah, amazing. And uh, just leads me to say, uh, Richard from 11 Content, thanks very much for joining the Go Solo show today. Uh, we really appreciate you being able to join us. And uh, we hope to catch up with you soon. Cheers. Pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Go Solo show, powered by Subkit. We hope you've had a great time and picked up many new ideas for your own business. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at team underscore go solo. If you're inspired to get started on your own enterprise yourself, then check us out at subkit.com. We're here for whenever you're ready. I've been Johnny Quirk and until next time, keep winning.